0: Welcome to the Sons and Daughters Podcast. I am your host, Arden Bevere. And yes, you are. Arden Bevere. Yep. Thank you for... Yes. Yeah. I'm just, just jumping right in now. In. Okay. Well, I'm joined with Addison, uh, my older brother, who feels like he can just jump in I can, whenever he wants. because I'm your because older brother. He is my older brother. So I guess that's fair. We have to live with that. But we are going to talk about a topic, Addison and I, about what do you do when your friends are sinning? Sinning. The big... just The S word. They are... They're not doing good things. They're caught in some bad stuff. So, how do we navigate this? You know, there are so many situations uh, where you may see your friends doing something that you know uh, that they should not be doing um, and is not going to help them in the long run. And so, how do we speak uh, truth and love? You know, how do we not reprimand? How do we not make examples? Um, I feel like so many people shy away from the tough conversations because they don't want to see judgmental or mean. And I've actually had it with, um, I had a close friend I just went to dinner with recently, and we were talking about he um, he's been offended with the church for um, a long time and I had no idea why, but I actually found out that um, it was because um, he had come clean about something and it was navigated poorly mm-hmm. and uh, leadership mainly made an example out of him rather than walking him through the restoration process and so um, you know this is something that we really have to Uh, navigate well. So I just think it's great that we have uh, a conversation around it. And so, Addison, I just want to ask you a couple questions, and we can kind of, you know, kind of go through conversations with it. And so, um, first off, just kind of getting this through the door so that we know that this is something that we are supposed to do or not supposed to do, but are we supposed to speak into people's lives that are around us that are sinning, that are Christians,
1: Yes, but, Okay, but there's there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. Good,
0: okay, that's what I was going to ask you. How do we navigate it?
1: Okay, so first of all, I think we have to define sin because we all have a different idea of what sin is, and a lot of us believe that sin is arbitrary, meaning it can be one thing to you and another thing to me, and it's also contextual. But the reality is Scripture gives us a really clear idea of what sin is, and in Matthew one twenty one, we read this description of Jesus' mission. It's the first description of Jesus' mission in the New Testament. It says that he will save us from our sins, that is keep us from missing the trend and scope of life, which is God. So sin is something that separates us from experiencing God and experiencing the fullness of life that he has for us. So if we love each other, if we're in relationship with each other, if we're really invested in each other's well-being, then we do need to know how to navigate this, this topic of sin. It's an important thing for us to talk about. Now, I think the idea of being judgmental, like none of us wanna be judgmental. Yeah. I, don't, I don't wanna be judgmental, that's, that's a taboo, right? Like being judgmental. But the reality is in, in scripture, we find, particularly in the New Testament, we find references that encourage us to judge, and we find references that discourage us from judging. Mm-hmm. And so what we have this tendency to do is to flatten deep things because we want to turn them into formulas. But the reality is judgment is really just a decision for or against. Like if I we make judgments all the time, every day, all throughout the day. Like I judge, I don't like this hamburger. I mean, like, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a decision for or against. Yeah, where we, where we get into trouble is we start judging things that we shouldn't judge. And if you look at 1 Corinthians, I love this because you have two references and they're within verses of each other. One tells us to judge in 1 Corinthians four and another tells us not to judge. I'm sorry, the one in 1 Corinthians four tells us not to judge. The one in 1 Corinthians five actually encourages us to judge. And if you look at the difference between the two, one is dealing with behavior. The other is dealing
0: with motives
1: and heart. So we're not supposed to judge another person's motive or heart, but we are supposed to judge behavior.
0: Yeah. Well, I know for so many times, I mean, Dad, any time that I was growing up, Dad would completely get on me if I was trying to judge someone's intention or motive. And if I was judging their action, he would have, it was a completely different conversation, but he would get very firm with me on judging people's intention. And I think something that's so interesting is oftentimes when we talk about judging, you know, the the scripture that's like sarcastically thrown out there is people, you know, scripture in Luke where people are like, well, you know, don't don't look at the you know, don't judge the your brother for the speck in their home eye when you have a plank in theirs. But I feel like people never talk about the second half of that verse where it says it says you first take off the plank in your eye, and then you'll be you'll be able to see more clearly to remove the speck from your right. brother's eye. So there is a process that is. It's like you remove the thing out of your life so that you're able to help because your it's brother. relationship. Exactly. It's like I'm a,
1: I actually care about you. So judgment should be done from a place of love and compassion. Yeah. So I, I heard this said one time that God judges us not to get rid of us. He judges us to get rid of the thing that would get rid of us. Yeah. And a lot of people use judgment. For separation, but God has, He actually uses judgment to bring us closer yeah. to Him. Mm-hmm. So you see that all throughout, particularly throughout the Old Testament, His relationship with Israel, His goal was to bring Israel to Himself. So anytime He would judge them, it was for the purpose of what reconciliation, yeah. bringing them back to Him. So I think if we understand the purpose of judgment, which is really the betterment of the other
0: person, mm-hmm. then we then we can understand
1: when judgment is required of us. Yeah.
0: Okay, well, going on to our next question, because you mentioned 1 Corinthians 5, and at the beginning of that, that verse, it actually says, because uh, I feel like this is pretty pretty understanding that we are not supposed to judge people outside of the church. You know, it says, for what right do you have to judge outsiders? Uh, um, and so how do we navigate conversations? Because I, I feel like we're not supposed With to judge. With outsiders specifically? Yeah, we're not supposed to judge them, but how do we navigate conversations yeah. that are healthy conversations? We're not coming off as judgmental, like we're on this pedestal. Um, because we're Christians, but we navigate these conversations of illuminating yeah. um what where what what they're doing is is not, you know, not the things that they should be doing.
1: Well, I want to go back to the idea of relationship because I do think it should be done within the context of relationship. So when people come to hear you speak at a meeting, they're giving you the right to speak into their lives. So I, I think people need to give us the right to speak into their lives, right? And that takes relationship. If you look at James 4, there's an interesting sequence of events it shows us that intimacy precedes revelation. So I actually have to know you before I can talk to you about you. Does that make sense? Like yeah. people don't want you to put them in a box and a mold and just be like, you're like every other sinner out there. I'm just gonna interact with you in a way that that fixes you. Like, no, that's not how it works. And Jesus, he was so good about this. He would go and just do normal life and people would interact with him and his presence in their life would create spontaneous repentance. <laughs> they were like, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna right every wrong and I'm gonna give all this to the poor, right? Like Zacchaeus, yeah. it, that's that's the effect that he had on them. And that's why we do need to be in the lives of people who, who aren't living for God, who are quote unquote sinners, so they can see the grace of God in our life. And that's so much more powerful when they see it in us than just hearing it with our words. Now, don't get me wrong, there is a time to speak into someone's life very specifically, and that's why we are to be led by the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit again knows the deep things within that person. And when those moments align, we're able to speak into their life. And so I, I've done it. I've done it wrong in my life where I've tried to force it. Um, particularly when I was younger, I would like get in there and be like, "Hey, you need to hear this. Like, you need to change what you're doing." And it was very much done from this place of like, I need to accomplish something as opposed to learning who they are, understanding their heart, understanding their struggle, and then speaking to them from that place of compassion.
0: Yeah, that's so good. I love that. Um, so the next question I have, because I think this is a uh, you know big thing that needs to be talked about. I think it's something we shy away, but how do we have healthy conversations with those who have made sin uh, so much a part of their identity, you know, mm. like when they're like, well, this is who I am, you know, and, and mainly, you know, what I'm thinking about is, you know, it could be uh, when you're dealing with alcohol, you could be an alcoholic, or but when you're also dealing with same-sex attraction, and just really navigating, how do we uh, how do we have those ho- healthy conversations? Because we don't want to see people uh, stuck in sin, and, but we don't want to push them away.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, first of all, again, going back to this idea of love and compassion, like if you're not willing to die for that person, you're probably not in a position to judge them. Yeah. That's so good. That's so, <laughs> so good. I mean, let's just, let's just be real. If you don't view them through the lens that God views them through, then it's going to be very difficult to judge them. And so what I would say is I would say, look, there's there's a phenomenal mystery that we all have to choose to submit ourselves to. And you find this in Galatians 3 and Colossians 3, which is that we are found in Christ, our identity above everything else that we find value in or we find identity in, our identity is found in Christ. Above gender, um, above purpose, above ethnicity, above all of those things, we are found in Christ. And I think we get into trouble when we make other things that level, right? Like we are sons and daughters of God, and that, we are children of God. That is our identity of Christ. Specifically to your question about like same-sex attraction and gender disorientation, personally, I think we as a church, we've made a mess of this one, I think we've ostracized people who are navigating these things, and we haven't created a space for them—a safe space for them—to have hard conversations within the church. You know, we'll we'll pull um, we'll pull people in who are navigating pornography or maybe um, greed. Like we'll we'll work with them, right? But it's like, man, this this stuff's too messy. We don't we don't want it within the walls of our church. And what that's done is it's created this identity complex. Or people run because they're like, you know, I feel like this is who I am, and so they go and they find identity outside of the church, and then they raise this this um, attribute about who they are, which is, you know, that they have same sex attraction or gender disorientation, to the same level as who they are as a person. Yeah, and that's just that's not right because, again, first and foremost, we're children of God. That's over anything else that we feel, that we see, um, that we know about ourselves. That is the thing. And so that's, that's what I would encourage people to do. Actually, my, my sister-in-law has, um, she, she's been living with a woman for over 10 years and it's been really interesting for us to navigate that with her and we've done it well and we haven't done it well. And recently she was out here visiting and, and we invited her to go to church with us, but this was after like the whole week of just loving on her and, and allowing our lives to speak the truth to her because she's broken. I mean, it's very evident that she's broken. And we invite her to go to church with us, and she's like, you know, Addison, like, I don't, you know, we don't want to go to church. But if we did go to a church, we would go to yours. Like that's, you know, that was her response. And so at the end of the day, God is the one who changes us. His it's his spirit that gets into the depths of who we are as people and understands those wounds and those hurts and those disappointments and the pain that keep us from drawing near to him. And so what we have to do is we have to pray for them and we have to create a space where they can come in, a safe space where they can come in and have hard conversations with us. Because if we're unwilling to have hard conversations with them, they're gonna run out to the world and they're gonna have hard conversations with other people. And if I look at this spectrum of like this same sex attraction, gender disorientation conversation, on one side, you find churches that are like, don't come into our building, you have a disease, and if you come in our building, other people are going to catch the disease. And on the other side of the spectrum, you have people who are like, it's all good. Whatever you do is good. Like tolerance is the policy. D- your truth is your truth. There's, there's no categorical truth. The Bible is really just guidelines, right? So mm-hmm. you find churches along that whole spectrum. Well, if you look at the, the two sides of the spectrum, they both suffer from the same thing. They suffer from a low view of God and his transforming power. The people over here on this side who won't let them in the walls of their building don't actually believe that God's love and his grace is powerful enough to transform us into everything that he has for us. And the people on the other side of the spectrum, they're like, no, God actually isn't powerful enough to do a work in our life that's greater than what we can see in this moment. Hmm. So I think we as a church and we as the people of God, if we start to see ourselves first and foremost through the lens of God's power, that'll position us to see the people around us regardless of what sin they're navigating through his eyes and the promise and potential and the hope that he has for them.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. That's so good. Um, okay, well, so now uh, going back to kind of what I talked about in the beginning with my friend, because uh, I think this is really important, is uh, so when we have had these conversations or someone's actually realized like, well, wow, I've, I've really messed up in this area, um, what should we do and what should the restoration process um, look like because I love it in, in Galatians. It talks about it says if someone's caught in sin who lives by the spirit You should restore that person gently. Yeah, and so what is what does I that love look that. like?
1: I love that scripture It's not easy to restore people gently yeah. It's it's easy to to get rid of messes. Um, what I look for people and I've I've had the privilege of being a part of rest restoration journeys multiple people and um, and I and I it's beautiful Honestly, like it's, it's absolutely beautiful when it's done well, but someone has to have a willingness to lean into that process. Like that's something that I can't do for the person that I'm walking through the process. That's a decision that they have to make. God never imposes his will on us because he wants sons and daughters. He doesn't want robots. So yeah. they have to make a choice. They don't have to have all the answers. They don't necessarily need to know how to do it, but they have to make a choice to lean into the restoration process. If someone is doing that, then we have to walk through it with them gently we have to journey with them. i mean the first attribute of love in first Corinthians 13 is what patience, patience mm-hmm. right so when we're looking at this this idea of restoring people it's not a formula like hey check these few boxes and we're good to go it's getting into the nuances of what makes them them and understanding why there was a breakdown in behavior and then helping them move to this place where they see themselves differently and because they see themselves differently they're going to do they're they're going to do things differently.
0: Yeah, and, and asking an honest question on this because, like you said, you know, we we've got to walk in. They got to have a willingness. When is it? Is there a point? Yeah, when we should honestly just for the health of ourselves. Yeah. Um, because as you continue on in that Galatians, it says, "But watch yourself, or or you will also be tempted." Is there a point? Like when is that point uh, when we've got to just kind of give up and kind of? I mean, you know, we never give up on the person. We continue to keep right. praying for them, but kind of kind of get release out of... Release them. Yeah, releasing
1: Yeah, them. and and there there is certainly a, a point to do that. And um, as I shared earlier, there has to be a willingness on their part to lean into the process. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he, he actually tells the Corinthian church to release someone, to essentially turn the man over to Satan so that his soul will be healed <laughs> and restored and saved, right? So anytime we quote-unquote give up or release someone, it's for the sake of their healing. Yeah. So again, going back to what I said at, at the beginning of this episode, it's for their betterment. It's for it's for their health, and and that's something, honestly, Arden and I. I've had to do that with people. It's something that you have to really lean into the spirit on that. And I'm going to keep going back to this idea, like being led by the spirit, because again, God's spirit knows the deep things of that person's soul. And so, I know if I'm just giving up on someone or releasing them because I'm frustrated. Or because i'm annoyed or i'm irritated then that's probably not right but if i've prayed for them and i'm at that point where i'm like god they're not like they're not leaning into the process they're not receiving from me i need to turn them over to you and my involvement in their process now is actually hindering their process yeah so i need to get out of their process and give them to you
0: wow yeah i love that that's that's and that's a hard that's a hard thing to come to I oh, know, for a lot of people and, and there are some people where you
1: might you might journey with someone for a couple weeks there are other people out there you might journey with someone for decades yeah and god never says like release them yeah but there are times and and if we're honest and sometimes it takes it's really hard to do this because it requires a lot of humility to be like you know i'm actually not the one to walk you through this i have to release release you but it's an act of love Mm-hmm. And there's uh, the peace that Paul describes in Philippians 4, the peace that transcends understanding, guards your heart and guards your mind. Like that That's what's happening in that moment. And you know that the person is in the hands of their creator, the one who knows them better than anyone else. Yeah. And you know that he is going to do an intimate work in their heart and their lives. And and they're going to find themselves eventually in this place of, of restoration, which is God's heart. Yeah, God's heart. I mean, you look... At the narrative of Scripture, again talking about sin, like you look at the narrative of Scripture, God does unimaginable things to mm-hmm. reclaim us. I mean, it's it's it honestly it, it baffles me. Second Peter three, it talks about His forbearance, His patience, what He's willing to go through for us, and we have to be people who are willing to do that for the for the people who are quote unquote sinning mm-hmm. in our lives. And I love what you shared earlier about um, Luke's account, where it talks about the uh, the plank. Mm-hmm. It has to be done in the context of relationship. We can't depersonalize this. So think of specific people when we're talking about sin and how we navigate sin in the lives of friends. Think of specific people and really pray into their
0: lives. Yeah. Well, Addison, thank you so much for sharing so much wisdom on this. And thank you guys so much for tuning in today. We hope this provided some practical advice for you guys in navigating these situations. If you guys are enjoying the show, please make sure to subscribe. We don't want you to miss any of our episodes. Also, if you guys want to, uh, please post a comment. We love hearing from you guys. We would love to hear testimonies or just conversations that you guys want us to have. We just want to hear from you. and So uh, we appreciate you guys, and we'll see you next time.